Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sprouting Minds podcast. This week we welcome back Alnardo Martinez from the Childmind Institute. Alnardo and I talk about anxiety, specifically social anxiety, and the wonderful <clears throat> traumatic years of middle school. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi. Hey Andy, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for uh, coming back on. Of course, happy to be back. Well, I, first of all, I loved our conversation about OCD. I think that was one of the most interesting conversations that I've had. Um, and it definitely opened my mind to a lot of things that I didn't realize I was doing or saying about OCD that weren't necessarily accurate. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that you also specialize in anxiety. And I was like, you know what? You should come back on because... <laughs> Who doesn't have anxiety? Fair. Fair point. <laughs> yeah. And so I know that you mainly focus on children. So I was hoping to talk about social anxiety with mm-hmm. you, starting with the young ones and then talking about kind of us as adults and how that anxiety that maybe we formed when we were younger is still with us when we're older. That is a very great topic. <laughs> a very personal one, too. So that's great. Oh, good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I think in terms of just social anxiety, um, you know, I, kids really don't tend to develop like true social anxiety until like late adolescence, maybe early teens. So maybe between like the ages of like eight to 15 um, is kind of typically when we see like more of like a true social anxiety. Um, you know, as kids are growing when they're younger, they're more like internally focused kind of in what they like to do, their interests themselves. Um, and it isn't until I get to that like eight to 15 age range where we like really start to be like, oh, wait, there's other people around us. We need to like pay attention and like I need to make sure, you know, people not need to make sure, but I want people to like me. I want friends. I want a sense of community. And that's when I think we start to see things kind of get a little tricky first for some kids who maybe were already a bit predisposed to anxiety from the start. Got it. And so since it starts more in adolescence, when we have young children who are in like elementary school and we're watching them socialize with other children and they're kind of maybe holding back a little with their peers, it it can be harder to pinpoint that as anxiety is that is that kind of accurate yeah i mean i think there there are some kids who you know things like being timid being shy aren't necessarily anxiety but they are maybe the kids to kind of maybe have a little bit more of an eye on right so the kids who are a little slower to warm up um, or the kids who, you know, need a bit more of a push to do a new activity um, or to join a group, um, those kinds of kids. I think some other, another smaller group of kids that we see kind of a bit more of like a direct connection to social anxiety is kids who have selective mutism, right? So where they're like actually anxious to speak in front of other people, maybe it's peers, other adults, right? So they already have kind of this anxiety around like interactions. For them, it's not like a lot of kids with selective mutism are super social. Like they love playing with other kids. They love being around other kids. But it's the speaking aspect where they're anxious. So then they they are kind of inhibited 
in some aspects and some areas that then tend to kind of translate into a bit more social anxiety. Yeah. I At my mom's school, years and years and years ago, there was one student who had selective mutism. And I thought that it was so fascinating that you have these these people who she she would play with other children mm-hmm. but she wouldn't talk and it was it was it it was almost like wondering how the brain functions in a way that you you can do all these other things but mm-hmm. this one aspect you you can't do and it it's very it's hard and sad to think about these younger children who have that going on and a lot of people don't understand it because we don't it's not talked about exactly yeah so it's it's hard it's very complex it's so interesting and it presents in, in many different ways um but i think that's one like if we're if we're talking about social anxiety i think those are some kids where you might see um and then just some kids who have like poor interactions with peers right something doesn't go well something you know maybe they're bullied or they're kind of ostracized for a reason that doesn't make sense or, you know, kids just being kind of mean or, or silly or weird and they really internalize that. Um, and then that leads to like more avoidance of social situations and then into like the realm of social anxiety. Right. And so it, one of the big gears that I think a lot of people associate having more of this anxiety is middle school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Middle school's the worst. <laughs> I, I I I don't like school. I didn't like any of my school years, but middle school was just not great. And I only think I know one person who loves middle school. Yeah. And it, it's such a hard year, you know, time of life because kids are going through puberty mm-hmm. and they're dealing with their own changes and then they're seeing everyone else change and people aren't kind. Yeah. And so that seems to be kind of the the starting point of like sure. the major anxiety. Yeah, I mean, middle school is awful. I was awkward. I was super short. I had I did not grow until like high school. I had the worst oval glasses of my life. Like it was, yeah, it's stressful and it's hard. And that's the kind of as we were talking about before, where people are really starting to become aware of like their friends and their appearance and then what they look like and who likes them and who doesn't. And then they start building those insecurities that like, I'm not like the other kids or I'm not as popular. I don't have as many friends. I'm not into the same things other people are. And so they start to avoid and then they avoid more and more to their point where they're not kind of doing anything and any kind of social interaction is like really stressful or really challenging. Yeah. And do you, do you, think there's like anything in particular that middle if we're focusing on middle school for a second mm-hmm. is there anything that the schools or parents like what how can we start reshaping the middle school experience because as clearly both of us had our own experiences mm-hmm. in middle school and they weren't great i started developing and i was like nope don't don't want any of that i don't and then obviously all the girls are pointing at each other and be like, ha, this, that, and like totally shut down, didn't like going. And I think that was also when I would pretend to be sick. And Mm, like, there were days where I was like, no, mom, dad, I'm so sick. I just can't go to school. 
and I wasn't sick, but I just like, I couldn't go to school. And not that I didn't have friends that were supportive, not that I didn't have parents that were supportive, but I had no control. Like I had no control over my body or, or anyone else. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be what most people go through. Yeah. So I think like they're, they're thankfully now is kind of a bigger push for like social emotional learning in schools. So I think that's like a really key step and something that a lot more schools should continue to like foster Um, more than just like, here's like a six week lesson about social emotional learning. Like, yes, that's great. And the kids do need those skills. But I think it's about forming an environment in the school that like really fosters social emotional learning and inclusivity, right? So the, the teachers and the administrators really are like, you know, it's okay to point out like the differences in students and kind of celebrate those things, right? And like really fostering that, yeah, people are different. Everyone looks different. People have different hair. Their voices are different. Their bodies are different. And that's okay. And like from a young age, really fostering that that the differences are fine. Like, because that's really what people get picked on and really point out and really like leads to bullying or social anxiety because we're different, but that's okay. But kids don't get that message enough and they don't see it both in schools and, you know, social media is like a whole nother like mess that maybe we can get to, but like, they're not hearing enough that being different is, is okay. And it's fine. And there are people who like you and, and do accept you and, and want to be your friend. And it's very, very sad. I I watch my cousin who's 10. So he's in sixth grade. He just started sixth grade now. And we were outside doing something and he wanted to like skateboard or something. And I told him to wear his helmet. And he was like, no, there are other people there who aren't wearing a helmet. Mm-hmm. And I said, one, I'm not in charge of those people. Right. Two, I need you to be safe. Mm-hmm. And three, no one cares. Like right. I said to him, it took me 30 years to realize nobody cares. Yep. As long as you're safe and you're comfortable and you're happy with who you are, nobody is going to care. People might say things, but you know what? Like, let it roll over or, you know, like we can talk about what they say. But I was like, how sad is it that it took me 30 years mm-hmm. to realize, be who you are. No, like, what does it matter to anyone else? But it's, it's hard because here I am 30 and here's a 10-year-old and I'm trying to like instill this in him. And th- how many other 10-year-olds are there that are walking around scared to wear clothing that they like or scared to talk about the books that they like, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is, the society that we live in is still just like, it's very harsh. It's very harsh for these young children. Yeah, I think that's something that takes a long time to learn in that we have this internal dialogue in our own head that is always pointing out the things that maybe we're doing wrong or the way people are perceiving us, or everyone cares, or everyone's judging me, or everyone's thinking about me. But if we really thought about that, everyone is doing the same thing. So no one has really the time to worry about what you're doing. Like if you're going to walk into a classroom late, and you're worried about that, everyone's going to look at you and judge you. No, because they're worried about maybe their hair that day, or the clothes that they're wearing that day, or is someone giving them a bad look, right? Like every we're all in our own heads about what we think other people are thinking about us. And that doesn't give us the time to really actually, for the most part, really care what other people are doing. Right. Right. And it, it, and it sounds so simple, right? It sounds so simple. Like nobody else cares. 
You're thinking about so many things. They're thinking about so many things. And yet here we are still thinking about other people's feelings about us. And it's, it's such a very complicated world. Yeah. And they're usually made up feelings. Like we're making up scenarios in our own head about people judging us. And they rarely ever come to be true. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I mean, thinking about these middle schoolers who are then going to go into high school and then, you know, become real adults like us. Mm -hmm. And then they go on to high school and that's a whole other thing. And then college is, is just a whole other messy place where you yep. kind of are more quote unquote free to be mm -hmm. you. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. And I mean, I, I think also with the social anxiety in regards to school, like I went to a very crowded high school, very, very crowded, had to squeeze through the holes. I was always concerned I was going to be late, always concerned about everything. Mm -hmm. And now I'm thinking about these children that might be concerned about shootings mm -hmm. because that's unfortunately part of the reality now is you go to school and you, it used to be a safe haven. And now it's really, you know, it's not like that anymore. And in your world, have you encountered any young adults who are kind of feeling anything about that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely a lot more concern in terms of like school shootings. Um, you know, I think a, a, a big piece. Um, I mean, I think there's definitely been like at least a frequent like a, a rise in, in frequency of them or maybe that we're just hearing about them more. Um, they're more like national, I think, in terms of like the. The larger picture, thankfully, they're still they're still rare. Right. So they're still like they're not like, you know, constantly happening. However, we're hearing about them more. There there could be like an increase in them. Um, and so I think that's one thing to help kids like focus on um, and at least like reset maybe some of their perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's an unfortunate kind of reality where that is on kids minds, um, at least maybe not all the time, but from time to time. Um, and I think there's, you know, outside of what kids can do, I don't think there's, there's unfortunately not too much that kids can do, right? Like this is like a, a bigger, like societal national issue where like the government and like, you know, people really need to take more accountability and a lot more, uh, take like more steps and actions, um, towards these things. Um, but I think with kids, it's like working on helping them take a different perspective on like the the frequency and then talk to them about ways that at least they or their parents or their school is keeping them safe um in like a realistic way as much as we can control things right we we do kind of all have to live in this world of uncertainty where you know going to work going to school things can happen um but that we also are there are things that we kind of do to take care of ourselves like in the car we wear our seatbelts we drive the speed limit we're cautious because those are things we can control we can't control a car accident right but we can control some things in terms of like what we do and that's that can usually be helpful for some kids to know like these are some of the steps the adults in my life are taking to keep me safe right and i think that's a great way to also think about the world in general as you said like when you get in a car you wear a seatbelt 
when when you go out in public you do like there's so many things to think about that you can that you have control over Mm -hmm. and so for those maybe living with social anxiety like i know when i go to like an event or something i tell myself as someone who has social anxiety i tell myself well this person is going to be here Mm -hmm. i have this that is going to protect me i can look at the exits and i can know that i can go those ways i know that these people are here to protect me and just kind of think of the things that i do have control over because everything else is kind of out of my hands and instead of stressing about it there's other things that i can use to calm myself down and Mm -hmm. think are safe so yeah right so i think that's some stuff that's helpful and i think one like the biggest piece that's helpful in terms of social anxiety is like exposure right so like continuing to do things either um in like a small gradual way so building up to maybe like an event or like a party or like something that's like maybe a, a harder thing but definitely like not avoiding right so the more avoidance we see the worse it's going to get the harder it is going to be to engage in things um so continuing to go to things so yes like still going out still seeing friends still seeing people still trying to talk to new people um is definitely important in terms of the social anxiety um piece of like i guess what we would call like treatment for social anxiety yeah and then so we touched on it for a hot second before, but a big thing for me is social media because yeah. obviously I'm on social media a lot mm-hmm. and I'm constantly trying to find interesting people to have on the podcast. And I started looking at young adults who I could have on too. And because of that, obviously a lot of young people mm-hmm. keep popping up on my pages and everything. And even I guess before we get into social media in itself, games, computer games, like draw children in. And I'm wondering if those have any effect on anxiety, like games that they just can't put down, even though they know that they have to stop and do something else, whether it's homework or go to bed or something. And it's like, no, no, I'm so close to beating this level or no, no, this thing is happening and I just can't. And it's like, they just can't pull themselves away. I'm wondering if that's, if that's partially like an anxiety thing or if it's just them being attached to their devices. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a combination. I think kids are like just attached to devices and now that the devices are portable, like there is a bit more of a reliance and harder to get away from, right? Like when I was younger, like, you could really only play on the TV, right? Or on the computer. And those things were in fixed locations. So when you left them, like, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, I want to go play that. But it's not like you're in the car playing it, right? Or you're like out at the restaurant playing it. Like there were like designated times kind of. So I think the 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 ease and the access to them has made it harder um, for kids to like unplug from them more so. And I think with some kids, Maybe not that the games are like causing the anxiety, but that the games help like relieve the anxiety, right? So if you're kind of in this world, you're not focused on the things that are bothering you on the outside, right? So if you're being bullied at school or if you, you know, don't like the way you look, you have this game that you're fully immersed in. And so you're not thinking about the the kids at school who are making fun of you. Um, You're not thinking about the parts of your body that you don't like because you're so immersed in this other kind of virtual kind of world wow yeah that's 
That that makes sense. That's a that's a very interesting take on it because I it you know if the real world is such a hectic and scary place, yeah, why wouldn't you want to you know stay in that? I mean, for me personally, like a big thing that I battle is sleep. I love being. I don't like falling asleep. I have trouble, but once I'm asleep, I don't necessarily want to get out of bed because mm -hmm. bed is safe. World is crazy and stressful and you know that causes anxiety so for a long time i battled like okay get out of bed mm -hmm. because even though it's you know anxiety inducing you have to live so i guess it's a very interesting take that the game is for some people where sleep is another thing right yeah but we all have our thing it's just like another way to kind of avoid anxiety or avoid like difficult emotions um but so for kids we might see more like video games and, and like their phones and stuff because that's just kind of i guess what they're more used to and have more access to yeah and so then switching back to social media mm -hmm. um i mean i i think that it's starting really young i i mean i know little kids know how to use devices but they might not be mm -hmm. on social media but i feel like starting now it's probably middle schoolers that are already sure. on social media, TikTok, Instagram, all these things. Yep. And it can be easy to stay on the good side of social media where everything is like shiny and happy and, yep. you know, happiness. But then there's this whole other side that's just toxic. And I'm wondering how that plays into anxiety and the mental health of young children and adults. Yeah, I mean, I think there's already been like a good amount of research kind of on these things and showing how social media can negatively impact mental health, social anxiety, like physical appearance. So things like um, body dysmorphic disorder, right? Like not seeing themselves as kind of what they look like, right? Because so, oh, so, so such a huge topic. There's so many things where social media makes things tricky. But I think in general, like we know, and there's been like lawsuits and like 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 in the in Congress talking about how like the algorithms on Facebook and Instagram are basically like a direct pipeline to like disordered eating uh, and self esteem issues for girls and boys. Like they don't talk about it enough, but it's the same thing, right? And so you know, I think it's it's a tricky place to be because everyone teenagers are on social media right like not being on social media then you're kind of like this loser you have this anxiety about not fitting in and not knowing what's going on so either way kids kind of get the short end of the stick whether they're on social media or they're not um so it really kind of takes some of the effort on parents to you know one kind of be just checking in and monitoring like what your kids are doing um, and educating kids like on that not everything on social media is real or true, right? A lot of it is curated. It's made up. It's fake. It's people wanting to seem a certain way when in reality, their life is completely different. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, and the, the sad part is that it's so easy to be a bully or a troll on social media. Mm -hmm. And unless you have really, really, really thick skin, it's going to affect you. And I know adults who are being affected by, you know, the things that they post that they're just trying to be helpful and share, you know, realistic, you know, things about whether it's dogs or 
their jobs or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And there's always someone that's being negative and it affects them because we're human. Right. And, you know, to be so young and have that unfortunate experience of someone saying something to you that they don't know you, right? They're just seeing this, this short, short, short clip. They've made an assumption about you Mm -hmm. and there you go. And it's just, I, I, I do commend people who don't do social media because I think that those are the the people that are in some ways a little bit stronger yeah. because they're not they're not forced into this toxic world of is it going to be nice is it going to be mean am I going to go on the right side the wrong side there's just so many unknowns about it and these young kids just you know they're they're naive in the world just because they're so young not mm-hmm. because they're not smart or anything but because they haven't experienced so many things. And so you get one person who's nasty and that can really affect them in a really negative way. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think kids feel like they don't have the option of not being on social media. Right. And then to think about like the number of social media apps that they have to keep track of, like it is exhausting. I don't even know all the current ones. I'm sure. I'm sure there's new things that have come out that I'm like way behind on, but just imagine like having to keep track and like, keep up this image on like on every social media platform is exhausting. Um, and then I think your comment with the bully, like the even not bully, maybe just like the comments, like the negative comments. I think that that's like just an issue in terms of like, we're so much, we feel that it's so much easier to like make a negative comment to someone when we're not seeing them face to face, right? Like imagine like most people, what they comment on like social media is not something that I think they would say to someone if they were standing directly in front of them. So I think it's like social media and like the comments and those things kind of are warping some of our sense of like empathy towards people, um, which I think is like a tricky thing for kids to understand and kind of deal with as they like continue to grow. Yeah. And I I think that part of it is they just don't know better, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's just not, I don't think, I mean, when I was in school, it wasn't really taught. Like, of course, we had like the no bullying and things Mm -hmm. like that. But it wasn't really explained how my words or my comment is going to affect you. Because once I say it, I can move on. Right. I have a negative thought. I can write it down and I can keep going with life. Mm -hmm. But they don't realize that that person that's reading that comment is going to be affected Or, or not. But it doesn't matter. However, they take it. That's 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 staying with them. Right. And it's a very mm-hmm. it's like I wish schools would do social emotional learning, anti-bullying, like so yeah. many things that have nothing to do with like social studies, math, science, like all those things that yes are important. Mm-hmm. But if we're trying to raise these humans to run this world in a safe and productive manner, we're sort of failing them if we're yeah. not educating them on all these other things. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think it's something that's maybe thought to be taught at home, which is not uh, not like a, a, a like a jab against parents or caregivers, right? Like it's that it's a lot to manage. Like uh, I think we we don't fully understand the extent either of like all of like the social media and like the things that kids are going through. So it's hard to really keep up and like really um, educate them. But I think it's. Yes, I think schools also need to take a a bit more of a role um, in some of these things. Yeah, because even like even thinking about my parents, like 
my parents don't know that much about social media and stuff. And even people that I know that have young kids, like because they're around our age, some of them don't use social media. And so it's not a jab against parents and it's not a jab against teachers. It's just like the thing that now has to be included in these children's lives some way. Mm -hmm. And it's navigating how we do that now. How do we educate these young people on how to live this in this world safely and productively? And that's, that's a big challenge. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and that just comes with like society changing, right? Like we, we do need some changes and just things in general, like it's not a bad thing. It's not like a critique on anyone, but it's, you know, as we evolve and change, so do like our schooling and like education and like parenting and all that stuff also needs to kind of adapt with, with the changes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, I'm curious if we switch away from like social anxiety and just to like generalize anxiety, mm-hmm. I used to have trouble falling asleep and I still do. And so I'm, I'm curious how parents and and young adults can realize that they their anxiety is possibly affecting their sleep and not necessarily that they just can't fall asleep or that they, you know, want to get into bed late. Like there's this other thing that's kind of withholding. And if it's not like um, if it's against your job to necessarily diagnose, you know, this is not a diagnosis. That's what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, no, that's fine. I think, you know, sleep can can be a big issue. Um, I think, you know, to identify whether it's like anxiety or another reason that's like impacting sleep, um, I would say it has to do with like, so what's happening when you try to fall asleep, right? Is it that you can't shut off your brain and you're kind of sitting there like running through every like worst case scenario or catastrophic thing or kind of running back through your day nitpicking like, this is what I did wrong. This is where what I did bad or I did this and so and so hates me or people are judging me for this, right? So I think it comes down to like what's the function or, or like the, the content of what's happening um, to whether identify if it's like an anx- anxiety thing or if there's like maybe some other kind of condition kind of getting in the way. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I It's funny. I I have trouble sleeping and it's something that I've been working with my therapist about. And so... I usually sometimes take a Xanax if like my brain is really, really running. Mm-hmm. And the other night I didn't and I got into bed at 1130 and I didn't fall asleep till like six o'clock in the morning. And I like reflected on all of the thoughts and I was like, I was worried about walking the dog in December in the snow. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Random. Yeah. It's like things that don't don't really, you know, I think sometimes like we use the term like irrational thoughts. However, I think sometimes that can feel like a bit dismissive to some people. So I I totally understand that. But it's like, you know, just kind of like worst case, very random type things that like the brain is so good at creating like danger or alerts for things that are just like regular life stuff. Right, right. And like sometimes for me to go to sleep, like I just need a meditation thing in the background. Like there's, right. there's so many different tools now that we can be using to ease our anxiety. And even mm-hmm. like, sometimes if I'm feeling a little anxious before a podcast interview, like I know that I just need to like sit in this space for a few minutes and just like breathe. Right. I know right. that Your everything is set up. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Nothing crazy. Just I'm sitting here. I know everything is set up and ready to go. 
And so like, there's just these little tools that we all can learn mm-hmm. to help us, even if we don't have major anxiety, just to like help us get through life a little bit more at ease. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's, that's things that we, we all could incorporate. So some like mindfulness or like meditation or um, just different forms of self-care. So like hobbies like baking or like cooking, um, things that really just kind of improve our mood, make us feel good are really going to be beneficial for all of us. Um, and, you know, trying to build our, our sense of confidence and really like push ourselves, even if it's just a little bit outside of those limits. Every time we do a little bit more, we kind of look back and see how much farther we've come rather than kind of staying in the same place. Yeah. And the last thing that I, I kind of want to touch on is I know that some parents put pressure on their children with school and then mm-hmm. extracurricular activities. And like every single day, there's something that this child is doing. Yeah. And how do we know when that's too much? If you have a child that's not necessarily vocalizing or doesn't really know how to say like, I, I'm like at my wits end, mm-hmm. how do, what are some of the potential signs to see that someone is just doing too much and I think that also relates to adults with work, right? Sure. Like, how do we know when someone or ourselves is kind of just feeling like there's there's too much on our plate now? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point that kids maybe not, kids maybe won't always verbalize kind of what they're feeling or that they're they're handling too much. And I think you want to look at like, how is their maybe performance or engagement, right? So do you see it slipping? Um, do you see that they're kind of like not fully engaged in the activities that they're doing? Um, do they kind of look like tired and exhausted all the time? So are you seeing like a lot of changes in their energy level that they're feeling pretty like low energy frequently? Um, and so I think that's helpful. And then I think as parents, like our caregivers, you really should have those conversations and check in with your kid, right? Like, even before you're seeing like some of these thoughts, sorry, even before you're seeing some of these signs, um, I think it's important that caregivers are checking in with their kid to make sure that they're feeling all right. And if they need a break or if there's something that they they don't necessarily want to do, um, you might also see, um, you know, similarly to anxiety where there might be some avoidance. So like feeling like sick um, when it comes to like an activity that they should be doing quite, quite frequently or school, right? So um, kind of these things as ways to get away from doing it without having to necessarily say directly, like, I don't want to do this, or I'm nervous about this, or I'm tired about this. Right. right. Interesting. Yeah. And then if if you can give any tips for like adults who are kind of feeling maybe that they just have too much on their plate, or, you know, they're just running around doing 20,000 things, mm-hmm. whether they're parents or not parents, like, yeah. How how do you think us as adults need to check in with ourselves and remind ourselves we are human and it's okay to to take a break from certain things? Yeah. I think for adults, we really need to see like, is there time in my schedule where I'm not doing anything, right? So if I'm always running, if I'm always doing something, I'm not going to be performing at my best or I really can't like help maybe if it's I want to help other people or I want to do this activity or even this hobby or this like side thing right like is there still time where I'm taking care of myself um and time for like just me to be 
right? So again, similarly with kids, like if we're noticing a decline in our in our performance or in our like in our work, that might be like a sign that we're like doing too much. Um, again, if we're like exhausted all the time, I think that somehow has become like a sign of like success or like a, a metric of doing well if you're tired all the time, which I do not abide by. I love to relax. I love to like take time to de-stress. Um, and then I think also maybe it's not necessarily that we need to like pare down, but maybe we need to take breaks, right? So like a great like mental health day is something that I think a lot of people should take, kids and adults. Um, and that involves like doing things that are self-care and taking care of ourselves in those moments. Um, so it's not necessarily that we need to like do less, like consistently, but that we need to take time for rest and breaks. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's so powerful because I know that as a teacher, I never took off because mm -hmm. I didn't want to seem like I didn't care. I didn't right. want to seem unprofessional. Right. But I was so run down at times that a mental health day of just like being home, mm -hmm. no work, no kid, like nothing that has to do with my job probably would have benefited me a lot. Yeah. And and even now, sometimes when I get home from a long day, I just want to sit like yeah. I don't I don't necessarily want to watch TV or anything, but I just want to be able to to sit and relax. And I think that that we think now that that's like a sign of weakness and something that makes us look less than when mm -hmm. it's not. It's something that our body just really needs and our mind needs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm all for them. Everyone should be taking them. Not too frequently, but enough when when you need it. Right, right. Awesome. Well, unless there's a topic that we didn't touch on that you think. I think we're good. I mean, I think just in general, as always, as a, a just, you know, because of a, always want people to be in therapy is just like to check in with your kids if you're noticing or yourself to check in if you're noticing like prolonged difficulties. Like so with our topic of social anxiety or just anxiety in general. If you're noticing like a prolonged or like a, a high frequency um, or, you know, that you or the, or the child, you know, can't be soothed or can't like, you know, the thoughts just kind of run um, wild and, you know, it's just impossible or they're like really avoiding or refusing school, like reach out to like a mental health professional, like seek out you know, whether it's going through your pediatrician or, or just through whatever other kind of through the school, um, through your work, like reach out to someone and 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 try to get some professional help because there are like evidence-based tools and skills that really do work so this isn't something that someone needs to live with forever um there are things that are effective in, in overcoming some of these struggles yeah and i think to piggyback off of that to also remind these young children and young adults that this is safe and it's smart and it's yeah. it's useful and it's nothing to be offended about or mm -hmm. embarrassed because i i know like even when i was younger and i went to therapy and like my friends probably still don't even know that i went to therapy in like middle school because i was embarrassed yeah. that would, why would i go to therapy and so mm -hmm. reminding these young children that like this is a good thing this is yeah. going to help you in the long run and there's nothing to be ashamed of or embarrassed by and you know I think everyone should be in therapy anyway, but, yes. <laughs> you know, I think that trying to reframe the stigma against it. And I think we're, we're getting there. I think there's sure. people that are finally like, oh, therapy is a good thing. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's powerful. So yeah, just as parents remembering, like to, to make sure your child understands that this is 
a good tool and it's going to help them. And as you said, you don't need to live with it forever. And the earlier you kind of work through those anxieties, mm-hmm. the better you'll be in the long run. For and, sure. And life is always going to be hard, but it, it doesn't have to be as hard. Right. You'll have a set of tools you kind of learned at a younger age that kind of help you through. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Alnardo, thank you so much. Yeah, of always um, happy to be here. Yeah. I. Who knows? In a few months, I might call you back here. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Awesome. Well, thanks have an amazing me. day. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.